Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Welcome to the Delicious Podcast Extra Portion with me, Jilly Smith. And this week, I'm down at the farm at Riverford Organics with its founder, Guy Singh Watson. After 20 years of ploughing his own path and being one of the biggest voices in the fight for ethical food and farming, Guy is about to hand over more than three quarters of his business to his 650 employees as part of plans to create a structure where the staff will have a say in the firm's future. I asked him how daring to be different and sticking to what he believes in have become the building blocks of Riverford Organics and why he still chooses to put the rarest and most unusual vegetables in those veg boxes. It is a balance. I mean, you know, mostly people want their standard veg, their broccoli and potatoes and carrots and onions and so on. But it is good to put something in there which, um, say, broadens their repertoire, challenges them occasionally and, uh, and gives them something to talk about, actually. I mean, I'm completely obsessed by vegetables and would talk forever about them. And, uh, and if I can indoctrinate our customers, uh, so much the better. So, yeah, we grow some pretty weird vegetables and of course what's weird has changed over the years there was a time when a courgette was weird believe it or not and then broccoli was weird and then celeriac was weird and then fennel was weird and all those things have become normalized (laughs) and uh, I suppose I have a particular obsession with uh, I really like bitter as a flavor and um, so we're growing a lot of the chicory family, so several different types and of And of course, your, and your customers know that bitter is actually good for the gut as well. Good. Uh, well, I was told by a Russian woman on a farm tour once who, when I was going on about how much I loved artichokes and cardoons and chicory and so on, she said, well, you're clearly a very angry person <laughs> and you're self-medicating that, you know, because, uh, you know, Anger finds its kind of uh, seat in the liver and bitter flavours um, clean your liver. I mean, I, I can almost feel it happening as I eat them. I don't know. Um, that may sound ridiculous, but, I mean, why? I mean, cows definitely can self-medicate and go and find the herbs that they need to keep them. So why shouldn't we, well, we've if always... we're sufficiently connected, yes, and I think I am very connected to my vegetables, why shouldn't we be able to yeah. self-medicate? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So 25 years ago, when you first started getting those veg mm. boxes out there, you know, first of all, it would have been a, a certain kind of clientele who were choosing to have that in the first place. But also, you were you you were really starting from scratch with people who really didn't know what to do with things. I remember I used to have a uh, veg actually, box I've, and I've, look at it and go, really? Well, I've got I've got to contradict you there because <laughs> our initial customers were pretty down to earth people actually who just had they cared about their food, but you know, they often 25 years ago they were often much better cooks than the people today who talk a lot about food but often actually have a fairly 
Actually, in those days, people were very happy. People knew what to do with a Savoy cabbage, whereas now people are perfectly happy with an aubergine and a fennel and so on. But you know, we've forgotten what to do with some of the, some of the particularly the brassicas and the vegetables that grow really well in our climate, mm. and that that can be a bit frustrating. So, it wasn't definitely going right back to the beginning. It wasn't um, the st- kind of stereotypical upper middle class foodie. Um, that I, unfortunately, I have to admit that is probably associated with veg boxes now. No, it was pretty run-of-the-mill people, you know, typically living in a terraced house with, uh, you know, a modest terraced house with two or three children at home. But that was around here, wasn't it? And then when you started to expand and you got into London, I mean, you know, I see them in Brighton. Yeah, no, that's true. So you are now, (laughs) part of the revolution is one thing, but actually you are... Uh, delivering to people who have a, a refined palate and you can play with that. What, what are the advantages of that for you? We live in a world where our competitors <laughs> you know, have much bigger advertising budgets than us and I resent every penny that's spent on, on marketing and I'd much rather spend it on in the fields on growing great vegetables. And it, If we can grow great vegetables, which people talk about, either because they have exceptional flavour or because they have a certain sort of novelty value, then that is kind of our marketing as well. And um, I'd much rather spend it on vegetables than on, um, you know, Google Words or, you know, Facebook advertising or something. So uh, so that's what we do. So we do almost deliberately <laughs> kind of grow, I don't know, you might say provocative vegetables. The most <laughs> provocative one I grow is a cardoon. Which, and I do love bitter, but, I mean, a cardoon is a very challenging vegetable. Wait, <laughs> most but you do chefs. put recipes in there as well, don't we you? We do put recipes in there, but I have to say, the week this year that we put cardoon in the boxes, I did have more complaints than I think <laughs> I've ever had. <laughs> do you kind of punch the sky when that happens? Yes! Well, you know, a complaint is almost a compliment, I think. Because, <laughs> you know, at least someone can be bothered to complain. It's if they just... Uh, uh, you know, there's nothing more insulting than indifference. <laughs> <laughs> and it is what you do, isn't it? You do like a bit of provocation, don't you? Um, yeah, I'm afraid to say that I probably do. I don't... It's not something that I'm particularly proud of, actually, and I think it probably is almost time I grew up a little bit. Uh, I don't see any point, you know, in annoying people for the sake of annoying people and, you know, making... Enemies, as I know I have done at times, uh, you know, I, I think it's pretty dumb, actually, and I, and I really need to stop doing it. <laughs> but in terms of what you've done with the farm, so let's go back 30, 40 years when this was a dairy farm? Uh, well, my dad started farming here in 1951, and it was predominantly dairy, but it was a mixed farm, and, uh, you know, as most farms were, so he had sheep, he always hated sheep, actually. Uh, you know, my mum, chickens, uh, my mum... I can remember picking up eggs with my mum. Must have been uh, early sixties. We grew barley and oats. Uh, we had cows, and my dad's obsession was pigs. Actually, he really loved pigs, <laughs> and always was always trying to find a kind of ethically acceptable way of, of keeping pigs. Pigs, and uh, you know, they're very intelligent, and uh, it's quite difficult to keep them outside in our damp climate with uh, quite you know clayey soils. Yeah. So he he struggled. <laughs> Did he find a way of doing it? He didn't really, actually. And, uh, you know, really, it's uh, we're just in the wrong place. Mm. You know, we have uh, 40 to 50 inches of rain a year and, and at least 30% of clay in the soil. You mix those two together and you get a pretty sticky mess when yeah. you put a pig out on it you know, in January. So it, it, I have to say it didn't work. <laughs> and when my brother Oliver um, took over, uh, the um, 
the pigs went fairly quickly mm. and, and then I came back and started growing the vegetables. So the farm is mostly now, you know, dairy and veg and we have lots of other enterprises as well. But there's a bit of a story in between that. Did you see the problems with dairy then and decide to become a vegetable farm? Well, I did. Um, I spent two years away um, in between deciding that I didn't want to... Um, well, it wasn't. It's more that I couldn't farm with my family. I think I'm just too independent and needed to do my own thing. So I went off and I was a management consultant for two years, uh, which was very interesting and morally completely bankrupt and really seemed a pretty useless thing to do, which is why I ended up back on the farm. But in those two years, I did learn through observation the companies that I worked for just how completely brutal, you know, free market economics can be and if something can be made cheaper in well it was Mexico in that time I'm going back to the 80s now it would be um, uh, the Far East probably uh, you know the, then then you know you're doomed really that sort of con- so, and, and the only way to escape that is to produce something which other people can't produce and, and i.e. not to be a commodity producer and, and most people regard milk as you know it's just homogenous white stuff mm. and uh, you know so it is the ultimate commodity and I didn't want to be a commodity producer, so uh, and that sort of led me towards. But I did want to be a farmer in the end. But you know, I couldn't do that sitting in an office wearing a suit stuff. It just completely did my head in. I wanted to do something outside, which had some sort of tangible value. So I came back. By that time, I'd relinquished my claim to the family farm. So I started with a three-acre field, uh, you know, independently growing um, vegetables. And uh, you know, fortunately, I, I just found my love really and you know that was 30 years ago and I and it's just extraordinary how the the uh you know enthusiasm for what I do and for vegetables has shows absolutely no sign of abating in fact it keeps growing and you know there's just so much to learn and um you know I love growing them I love cooking them I love sharing all that with other people so that's a great basis for a business and it's interesting isn't it trying to pinpoint why what it is that people love about people like you who do that kind of and it's that there's an authenticity about it but can you break that down you know I could just say it's a man who loves his vegetables but there's a lot of people men who love their vegetables what did you do that grabbed the public imagination it's probably going to sound very arrogant but I think um I think I'm just unbelievably lucky and I think (laughs) quite a lot of people are maybe a little bit jealous or would like a little bit of that because actually you know to spend your days doing something you really love and for 30 years on still to be doing that and to be making a living at it and to take them home and to cook them and and something that has such sort of tangible purpose is you know, you know, it's extraordinarily lucky. Most people don't get to do that. You know, so I mean, many most people, people don't go and dare do... to do it. Most people don't dare to do it. And I think that there's something in there by actually putting your heart in your sleeve and saying, actually, I'm just going to go out and do it. And there's a lot of hard work in there, isn't yeah, there? You yeah, know, especially yeah. Especially digging land. Yeah, it was unbelievably country. hard work at the beginning. I mean, starting a business, really, my parents were livestock farmers principally. I didn't know anything about growing vegetables. And when I planted my first Brussels sprout, I, I didn't know that they grew on the stalk, believe it or not, because my mum hated Brussels sprouts. <laughs> they were never in the garden. So I had never seen a Brussels sprout growing, and they're not growing commercially in Devon. So, you know, that's how ignorant I was. I had a lot to learn, and, and you know, and learning, you know, you make up for the mistakes you made just by working harder, really. And so the first five years, I did work extraordinarily hard. Mm. 
uh, and you know, and the next ten years after that, we're only marginally better. I have to say, I have a very comfortable life now, you know. Um, uh, but uh, but it was but a hard graph that got really there. Hard and I think that when when you started grabbing that public attention, was also that back to the land. That was that sort of feeling that we were heading for a disaster which we can now see not in the not so far distance the soil has got what 20 30 40 years tim lang says um, um well tim dear friend of mine <laughs> he does know how to coin a uh, <laughs> coin oh, a phrase right. which, uh, says 60 years yeah so it's not some soils you know will go on for a long long time others definitely will be finished in, in in 30 years, or let's say they'll be greatly changed in 30 years if we continue farming um, the way we are. Intensively. Inten- yeah, yeah. I mean, and, um, you know, we are blessed in this country with our soil and, and our climate in that they, they are very sort of tolerant. Certain soils, like, you know, the fens, which do, the fen, you know, is just oxidising. Yeah. It's effectively burning slowly. Uh, and losing perhaps an inch of peat a year, you know that peat will be gone most of it in thirty years. I mean the clay is showing through in certain bits, so that you know that unquestionably will happen. Uh, you know I think the soil around here farmed, you know, with a rotation the way we do is is pretty sustainable. In fact, I think our soils are improving, and I think more farmers are learning about that and the value of organic matter and structure and the life in the soil and so on. So I'm probably not as gloomy as as, as Tim Lang, but um, but yes, farming does need to change unquestionably. And there's a really important connection there, isn't there, between the consumer buying interesting cardoons in their vegetable box mm. from places like Riverford and understanding a little bit more about the importance of crop mm. rotation and the impact on the soil. Well, I mean, the, thing, the cardoons, I do joke about them, but I think there is a very serious point between them is that, in, is that a cardoon is a perennial. You don't have to plough the land every year. It just keeps on coming up from the roots every year and and you know after you've had them in a field for 10 years i could show you a place just over here where there's been no cultivation around them they have produced food for our field kitchen every year for 10 years and the soil is just in the most fantastic health because we're not we're not plowing it we're not applying any pesticides to it we don't actually even apply any manure to it it's a really sustainable system but that is only sustainable because a cardoon is a perennial vegetable almost all our agriculture you know all our primary crops be they rice potatoes wheat maize they're all annuals which means that you have to you know start again every year you have to make the soil bare get rid of what's there and plant your crop and that is incredibly destructive there is no part of nature anywhere in the world where that that happens it's a completely unnatural thing and it's not surprising that the soil just can't stand that treatment so fundamentally we you know the greatest thing that could provide food security and and sustainability in terms of our management of soils would be if we could perennialize our annual crops i.e. you know grow a wheat which um you know which you harvest and, and then you leave it and you come back the next year and you harvest again and that might sound absurd but actually a wheat you know has been bred from grasses you know that its progenitors in the wild are mostly perennials and the same with maize we have we've turned them into annuals through our through our breeding and of course that serves the seed company very well because you have to go back to the seed company yes. every year to um to buy the the seed so it's really in no one's interest other than the planet yeah. that we that we um that we move to perennials but it is a very important point and um yeah. Some people are starting to work on it now. It, and it is, yeah. is improving as, as people understand it a little bit more. Um, agrochemical industries, pesticides, you know, this is 
okay let's let's talk about organics a lot of people say you know if we buy free-range eggs if we buy you know high welfare meat that's okay but we don't have to buy organic vegetables what's the thinking there and what should people know okay well uh you know why why buy organic vegetables i you know it's um partly for the good of the planet and, and partly for the good of your your health though i would say i mean you know we don't not true to say that we use absolutely no pesticides we use no synthetic pesticides and we probably use a fraction of one percent of the pesticides that a uh, that a um, conventional um, lettuce grower would buy i mean do you really want to buy a lettuce that's been sprayed probably once a week through its life with a nerve toxin to to protect it from aphids but what if people say no of course i don't but i can't afford the organic stuff well i would say you know, it's quite a harsh thing to say, really, but um, I would say um, forego your Sky oh, subscription. I'm going to make myself incredibly unpopular <laughs> here. But, I mean, really, the difference between buying a Riverford vegetable box and going and buying non-organic uh, vegetables in the supermarket has gone in your first pint, you know, when you go to the pub. You know, the difference is... I mean, it's, I, I, obviously, I do... You know, I'm a relatively wealthy person. It's not. I'm, I don't have no sympathy but i am sort of baffled by people's priorities sometimes you know where we will put you know the latest mobile phone contract ahead of you know eating food which you know we know to be better for our you know ourselves and our family and 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 for the planet and 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 i am talking about vegetables here i know when you start going on organic meat i mean the differences are really very large you know you're talking about twice the money on something that is probably already quite expensive um but but that really isn't the case for vegetables. The differences, are, you know, I wouldn't say trivial, but for for anyone, but you know, other than people on the really the lowest lowest incomes, I would argue that it is very affordable. Thanks for listening to Delicious Magazine's Extra Portion. You can find out much more about all things delicious at the website deliciousmagazine.co.uk. And while you're there, do subscribe and get every podcast delivered free to your podcast app. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 